Amen. Okay, so John chapter 17, it's part of the upper room ministry of Jesus. John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, Jesus has been communicating with the disciples in the upper room and letting them know that he's going to be leaving them, uh, that he's going to be preparing a home for them, uh, that uh, one of them is going to betray him, uh, that they need to have a life of service toward one another that is, is symbolized by the washing of one another's feet. And Jesus just drops just a whole lot of um, just information on them. Some of them, it's like a bomb to them that they just don't know what to do with. And so he spends time comforting them. Uh, through those many chapters, he lets them know that even though he's going, he's not leaving them as orphans, but he's sending the Holy Spirit to be in them and with them and to bring to remembrance the things that he's taught. And so it's just been this, if you've been here for the last you know, summer, uh, it's been a long upper room discourse and we're still in it, but there's a shift here by chapter 17 where Jesus isn't talking to the disciples anymore. He's talking to the father and he's going to pray. And so all of you kiddos that got um, paper, I've seen some incredible drawings up here. We've got uh, a jet airliner. We've got uh, some sort of rocket ship, a rainbow, a church with a heart on top of it. Christians drawn the crayon box. You got the crayon box by it and a really good crayon box. We got over here a guy named Mike. Evan is drawing the named Mike. No, I'm kidding. I'm guessing that's Nike. All right. Yeah, cool. Mike or Nike. Mike and Ike's. Um, and so if you have paper, do me a favor. Just spend a little time listening and draw a picture of Jesus praying. And if you could draw, draw what Jesus is praying for. See if you can draw the things that Jesus is praying for. So pretty simple title, Jesus Prays. Since Martin Luther's day, it, this has been dubbed the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's interesting because I think it was F.F. F. Bruce that said, the prayer that Jesus prays right now as the high priest is very unique because as high priest, he's consecrating himself up as both the priest and the actual sacrifice that's about to be offered. Um, I'll be honest with you, and maybe you are in this boat with me. John 17 has always felt a little distant to me. There's, there's big gaps in the prayer that I feel I'm almost separated by two millennia from. And then there's special parts where he prays for not only his disciples, but the disciples who will come after. And my heart resonates with that. Um, but I always, even in studying the last couple of weeks, I've just felt like it's just it's so far out there. Like what? What's even? And just praying last night at the pulse at the church here, we were praying that the Lord would bring it close to us. And, and let us see that our God actually came to this earth. Did you know that? He like walked on the earth. His name's Jesus. You can go over to Israel. In fact, November 2022, almost a year from now, uh, we're going to be having information about that. Israel trip. Um, we'll go where he actually was and be near where he actually prayed this prayer. And oh my goodness, our God had a heart for us and he prayed out to the Father for us. This is something that should not be distant and far off and kind of like, let's hop to chapter 18 where there's like a trial and an execution. You know, let's, let's enjoy chapter 17 
together. Um, and so Jesus prays the Lord's priestly prayer. Ernest Caseman called the prayer the testament of Jesus. It's Jesus kind of telling his own story of why he's come and where he's going. You guys appreciate that song that's always played at public events that's where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? I've been from a long time ago. Uh, you know, that's kind of Jesus saying, well, here's where I came from and here's where I'm going. Cotton Eye Joe or something like that. Um, John Knox, who was a Scottish reformer, uh, very famous from the uh, 1500s, when he was on his deathbed, he asked his wife to read to him John 17, where he said, I cast my first anchor. Almost his last words show how much his mind dwelt upon this chapter as he said, the troubled church of God, the spouse of Jesus Christ, who's despised of the world, but is precious in his sight. John Knox persecuted for the gospel said, it's here in John 17 that you see that Jesus is aware of what his bride is going through and he prays for her. Hopefully that helps bring it in a little bit more. Alistair Begg said, when we hear a person pray, we hear what's in their heart. And so uh, last night at the Pulse, we had time praying and it's just neat because we're not trying to be polished. Sometimes you feel like you have to like, oh, I got to have it like a three point prayer with an introduction and a thesis statement and a good conclusion. And, and people are judging me based upon my prayer. Anybody feel like that? That's why you don't ever pray out publicly. But I love just the simple, like Peter drowning in the water prayers, like, Lord, save me, you know, and it's there when a person prays, you, you hear what's in his heart. It's been said that what a man is on his knees before God, that's what he is and nothing other than that. You know, you might have people offer you up a lot of lip service, but when you get them praying before the Lord, their souls begin to pray, their spirits begin to cry out. And so here we have Jesus praying to the Father, and we see here's who he is. Here's who he is in his heart, and nothing more. It's kind of interesting, though, because we're in the upper room ministry, and Jesus doesn't say something like, let us pray. You know, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like, dear Lord, you know, or something like that. Oh, you know, uh, he, he, just, he just begins praying, like a whole chapter worth of prayer. And I remember I knew a guy in Corvallis, uh, his kids were in our youth group and they invited us over to dinner one night and we were praying for the dinner. He was praying for the dinner and I don't remember how he went about it, what his transition was, but he never said amen. But he said, just so you know, I never say amen because it just always keeps going. And I remember being like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Honey, get your purse. Let's get out of here. You know? Um, but then there's times where I, I've appreciated that. And I thought of that in Jesus's prayer because he's just like praying without ceasing to the max, you know, um, I have a book on spiritual leadership by DL Moody and there's a chapter on prayer and DL Moody was known. He's an evangelist from the late 1800s. He's kind of like a Billy Graham or a Charles Spurgeon. And he was known to be hanging out with his friends in like a carriage driving through Chicago uh, driving a carriage through, I think that's how they did that, uh, riding in it through Chicago and they'd be just talking and then, and then all of a sudden he's praying. All of a sudden he's out loud praying about whatever him and his buddies were talking about 
And there was no transition. It was just now we're praying. And now we're not praying. And now we are again. And, and so it seems that that's a bit of what's going on here when Jesus prays. Are you guys ready to get into it? You're like, not only did you take up that 40 minutes with Chris up here talking, but that introduction was one of the longest that we've ever heard of. Okay, whatever. Maybe you'd like to teach on Jesus' prayer. Okay. Starts out in verse 1, in case you're wondering, where Jesus asks the Father to glorify him. Jesus asks the Father to glorify him. So if you're drawing on your paper, I don't know what that is, Lainey, but that looks like a wound from a battle scene. We need to clean that up a little. Okay. Um, we're going to draw Jesus praying that the Father would glorify him. All right, here it is. Jesus spoke these words. That's the end of chapter 16. Remember when he said, in this life, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That was two weeks ago. And then he says, he spoke these words and he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. Um, we've been going through the gospel of John for a year and a half, and we've seen at the beginning of Jesus's miracle ministry, when Jesus would say, my hour's not yet come. Don't go tell anybody what I've done. Don't tell anybody about my miracle. My hour's not yet come. But then as we get to chapter 12, 13, we begin to see Jesus say, okay, I know my hour's come. In chapter 12, it's really raw because he says, my hour's come. And what should I say, Lord, deliver me from this hour? No, it's for this purpose that I've come. And so I say, all right, the hour is here. Glorify your name, Father. And then the Father says in chapter 12, oh, guess what? I have glorified my name and I'm going to do it again through you. Okay, so Jesus knows the hour of his departure has come. All right. And so Jesus says, glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. This would be a little bit of an arrogant statement had not Jesus been the one that's worth the glory, okay? It's okay for Jesus to be all about his glory because he's the creator of the universe. He's the highest almighty king of kings and lord of lords. There's no one else like him. He's not coveting somebody else's glory. It's his glory. It belongs to him. And so he says, glorify the son and i've got a purpose in that that the son may glorify the father let's go to verse two as you've given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him and so in his prayer give glorify me lord i'm going to glorify you back father and and in all of this process as i've been down here on the earth You've given me authority. You've given me power. I've been able to heal the dead, heal the sick, multiply fish and loaves, calm the storm. The disciples around me, when I calm the storm, say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Okay. Jesus had been given authority by the father. And I know there's some minds out there that are like, Rory keeps talking about Jesus praying to God and what? Okay. We've done a lot of teachings on this about the Trinity. And how there's one God and there are three persons within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into much of that right now. There's lots of teachings that we've done on that. But this is in the Bible 
and it's been believed by Orthodox Christianity for the last 2,000 years, all right? So this isn't some weirdo cult stuff that I'm trying to impress upon you. Here we have God the Son, his name is Jesus. He had clothed himself in flesh, and now he's praying to the Father who has a role that Jesus always defers to. Jesus always submits himself to God the Father, okay? And so... uh, And so the father had given the son authority over all flesh. And part of that authority is that he should give everlasting life or to eternal life to as many as are given to him. Uh, That's going to be repeated a few times in this chapter. Look at verse three. And this is the eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So here we have Jesus defining eternal life. What is eternal life? You guys, I know a lot of us, we have this sinful tendency to think of eternal life or heaven being just a giant world filled with all of our idols, you know, all the things that we love to do that are apart from God, all right? But you know what heaven is? Do you know what real eternal life is? You know what paradise really is? It's knowing God. It's seeing him face to face. First Corinthians chapter 13 says, now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then on that day, we're going to see him face to face. We're going to know him just like we are known. That's real heaven. You guys know that a heaven without Jesus there is no heaven at all. It's hell. All right. And people in this world who've lived their whole life wanting no Jesus, they're going to get no Jesus in hell for all of eternity. But for those who have wanted to know Jesus, by God's grace, he's called them to know him. Uh, They're going to get to know him more and more with knowledge that's just always going to be given to them as they're going to be in his presence, learning more of him every day. Got to love Jesus talking in the third person there. Got to love a good good friend that always is talking about, and then Rory was walking around, Rory, blah, 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 blah. It's like, just first person's good, bro. Okay. But Jesus, you know, in his prayer, he's referencing the relationship and calling himself the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's me, Jesus Christ. Verse four, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Interesting. This is the night of Jesus's betrayal. This is the night before Jesus will be on trial, crucified. It's Three days before Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And he can speak in the perfect tense that he's already done it. He is so on point and has set his face like flint to accomplish the mission that it's like, I can already say I've already done it. I've already finished the work that you've given me to do. One act of obedience remained to be performed. One act of obedience where he would lay his life down as a sacrifice on the cross but he is so totally committed to the mission at hand that he speaks of it as if it's just already accomplished. He's already done it. Verse five. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is one verse that speaks of the deity of Jesus and the fellowship and the friendship that the father and the son had before the world was created. Okay. Isn't it? It's it's beyond our mind. It's beyond our comprehension to know that before us 
And before this world was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together, and they just loved being together. Like, they were cool with that. And they had perfect fellowship, perfect friendship, perfect unity. And as you read the creation account, uh, you read the Trinity speaking among themselves as they are creating, uh, in such as making man, when they say, let us make man in our image. They're talking to each other during creation. Okay, one God, one Godhead, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so Jesus speaks in verse five. It's an important verse. You might mark it because Jesus says, hey, pretty soon here, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to have the glory given back to me that I had before I set aside my rights and my privileges as God. I clothed myself in flesh. I was sent on mission to the earth to live fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man, totally a man, totally know everything that a man knows, totally experienced everything a man's experienced, been there, done that, but there's going to be a homecoming. There's going to be an entrance back into the presence of the Father and the glory, the full rights and privileges of deity will be given back to Jesus in that moment. Um, So bring me back to that time. So he's praying, first part of this prayer, glorify me, he prays to the Father. Now, in verse six, we begin a next section, which is the revelation to the disciples. How Jesus revealed himself to the disciples or revealed the Father to the disciples. Here we go. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Okay, so Jesus is talking about his disciples. He's praying in that perfect tense again that, you know, within the night, they're going to abandon him. Within the night, they're going to betray him. Um, They're going to spend three days not walking in belief in the things that Jesus says. But Jesus is looking through the lens of the cross, through the lens of their failures, And knowing that ultimately, through the gospel, the disciples will have the victory. And that's how he looks at us too, by the way. When you read the New Testament, I think it's Peter, talks about Lot. And he doesn't call Lot filthy Lot that left Abraham and hung out in Sodom and Gomorrah, sicko. What does Peter call Lot? Righteous Lot. But he was a... Not through the lens of the cross. Through the lens of the cross. He doesn't see us as full of iniquity. He sees us as righteous. All right, moving right along. Now they've known that all things which you've given me are from you. For I've given to them the words which you've given me. And they've received them. And they've known surely that I've come forth from you. And they believe that you've sent me. We've even in chapter 16 had some dialogue between the disciples and Jesus And they don't totally get what Jesus is going to do by leaving them and dying on the cross and rising from the dead and sending the Holy Spirit. They don't get all that. And judging by your guys' looks, you don't get all that either. But so listen to the last couple weeks, okay? So, So there was some confusion with the disciples, but Jesus knows by the work of the Holy Spirit, they're going to get it. And so he says that. He says they they believe it and they get it. Um, Even last week, two weeks ago, the disciples go, now we believe because you're speaking to us in plain language. Verse 9, Jesus goes through verse 18 and prays for the disciples. So if you're drawing a picture of Jesus praying, which I'm sure you are by now, you haven't lost focus. Uh, (laughs) That is not Jesus praying, that is not Jesus, that's Jesus. Okay, Uh, 
draw a picture of Jesus praying for his disciples. He says in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. There's an interesting thing here as I've been studying Leon Morris and Alistair Begg and and, uh, F.F. Bruce. They all write and reference preachers over the years who, when Jesus talks about not praying for the sinners, it's an interesting moment here. Um, it kind of reminds me, I think it was this week that uh, Nick Vudajek or something like that, you know, the, the, the man with no arms and no legs, it's kind of a public speaker. Just this week, he came out and he began praying for the Mormon church and blessing them and acknowledging Mormon elders and leadership and praising Utah. Now, I may not have all the context in that, but it reminded me, uh, first of all, our hearts went like, uh, I don't think we ought to like pour out the blessings. You know, we need to be praying that they would know the gospel. It reminded me, I was a freshman in high school riding in a car with my sister and my friends. And we passed the Mormon church. And I just said, God bless the Mormons, you know. And my sister and my friends in the car go, Rory. And I was like, what? You know, I want them to be blessed with knowing the gospel. I want them to know the true gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. There's no other way, but by the hope of the biblical gospel. And so when Jesus says here, I'm not praying for the the wicked of the world right now who rejected God. There's something to that, okay? We don't, you know, we live in a life of inclusion right now. And we live in a life that doesn't like to say like, there's a truth and there's a not a truth. And God blesses the truth and there's a curse to the non-truth, all right? And so just for a moment, let Jesus pray his prayer the way he wants to pray it. Judge not. And let him pray when he says, I'm not praying for those that don't know you, but I'm praying for the ones that you've given me right now. Verse 10. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes in cinematography. It's from The Little Rascals. Alfalfa is in a boat with Darla. He's romancing her, and he says, Oh, Darla, he says, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is ours. But Jesus is a lot more, you know, specific when he says, all of mine are yours and what's yours are mine. Or as the FF Bruce commentary said, a little more King Jamesy, all that is mine is thine and what is thine is mine. And I'm glorified in them. Speaking of the disciples, verse 11, now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your name those from whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. If you've got notes there, um, or if you've got a pen and you like to underline in your Bible, we've got the keeping power of the Lord. That He is a God who keeps. He is a God who can be hoped in for eternal security. Our high priest prays for his disciples that they would be kept. And man, I believe that when the Lord prays something... It happens. And so that they are kept and that also they have a unity. And we're going to see that unity referenced again as we keep going through the chapter. Okay. Um, The original manuscripts of this text 
says, keep them through your name, which you've given me. Keep them through the hope of the gospel, the accomplishment of God, that they may be one and have unity as the Father and the Son have unity. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I've kept, and none of them I lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. So there was one that was not kept, but it was prophesied that he wouldn't be kept. You guys got to listen to Alistair Begg's teaching on Judas and Enigma. Okay, Judas and Enigma. It's an incredible teaching on how uh, Judas Iscariot was not a hopeless victim of predestination, um, but that he made real choices for himself to betray the Son of God and, um, and that those real choices were a fulfillment of Scripture that God had Yes, predestined and predestined according to foreknowledge. It's a bit of a mystery. Um, But with that, uh, we have the Psalms that prophesied of Jesus' own familiar friend in whom he trusted, who he even ate bread with, lifting his heel up against him. And here Jesus calls him the son of perdition. Judas had that opportunity. Even, you remember a couple weeks ago at the Last Supper in John 13? When Jesus was giving Judas an opportunity to just, don't go do it. Don't go betray me. Here, I'm even dipping bread and I'm giving it to you right now. And I'm telling you, like, let's share straws, essentially. You know, like, let's be brothers. Let's be buddies. You don't have to do this. But he went and did it anyways. It's a son of perdition. That one was lost. But verse 13, now I come to you. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So one mark of a disciple of Jesus, and we see it in John chapter 15. It's a mark of abiding in Jesus is that we would have joy, joy inexpressible. And, uh, and here we see they would have Jesus's joy fulfilled in themselves. You know, sadly, oftentimes Christians are the least joyful people in the world. I mean, have you ever had anybody call you and say, you know, or or see you and greet you and say, how are you doing? And you say, I'm good. And they say, well, why doesn't your face show it? Why doesn't your face show it? Are you good? Are you in Jesus? Do you have the hope of heaven? Be like Paul in the book of Philippians, that no matter what the circumstance, he has joy inexpressible, even if he's in chains, even if he's in prison. We can have the joy of Jesus, the cheer of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, We can have a smile on our face even when things are not going well. We can rest in the joy of the Lord. It's a mark of a disciple. And those disciples themselves, even though they would be persecuted and lose family members, be kicked out of synagogues, eventually all of them would die a martyr's death, except for John, but he would be tortured. They would have the joy of Jesus. In verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. So remember Jesus says, if the world hated me, you can count on them hating you. And he's referencing that here. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Uh, You know, we are to be in the world. Disciples of Jesus are to be on mission within the world, in the world, but not of the world. I don't want you to take them out yet, Lord. They've got to be here. They've got to be in the world. They've got to be missionaries in this world telling people about me. Um, 
I was reading this morning, and uh, one guy was writing, it was Matt Carter that said, Christians often try to fall to three different places while they're in the world. Um, and, and they were all I-N words. The first one, um, I'm going to do an E-N for the first one, you know, um, entrapped by the world. Uh, I know that's not what it was, but it was something like that, where Christians go and they, they become um, like the world. They become uh, worldly, filthy with their speech, um, carnal in their behavior as they're in the world. They're entrapped by the world, E-N, entrapped, all right, all right. And, uh, uh, or with that, inoculated in the world. Um, they just become so much like the world that they don't even represent Jesus in the world. But the, the beneficial I-N for our relationship with the world would be that we'd be insulated. That we'd be in the world, but we would be insulated with the gospel. We would be applying the gospel to our everyday life, walking in the spirit, walking in relationship with Jesus so that we can walk in the world just like he walked in the world. We can confront dark, uh, darkness, we can speak the truth, and we can lay our lives down for the world. Uh, and so insulation, being insulated with the gospel, not pulling ourselves out of the world, not being like the world, but being insulated as we're in the world. I know I butchered the whole IN thing. I'll say, I'll, I'll share that with you all in text later. Don't worry about it. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the, oh, we just did that one. Huh. That's what we have an associate pastor for. Next verse. Okay, thank you. So organized, Chris, all the time. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What a, what a special verse. Jesus praying for his disciples and praying that they'd be sanctified. You guys familiar with the word sanctified? Sanctify, it means to be set apart. All right, And, and it spoke a lot concerning the sacrifices in the Old Testament, or those that would offer the sacrifices, those that would be ministering in the tabernacle, that they would be people that weren't walking in the world, behaving like the world, living like the pagan nations around Israel, but they would be pulled out of the world, set out of the world, a different people, a people called by his name, set apart as holy, set apart as consecrated. Um, I don't know if you guys ever listened to that band Delirious back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh my goodness. Delirious. I was such a delirious fan. Martin Smith. Oh, such a good musician. I could just... My whole youth group started singing in British accents when we sang worship, thanks to Delirious and Matt Redman. It was like, thank you, Lord! It was like, hmm. Not sure why the whole youth group is singing with British accents. Delirious. That's why. But... There's a song that they sang, and it was sanctified. I want to be set apart right from the very start. And that just phrase, since I was in high school, thanks to Martin Smith and Delirious, I just always have been praying to the Lord, I want to be sanctified. I want to be sanctified. Another song that he wrote has this phrase that says, and all you want is all I have. That's all you want. That's it? Oh, that's it? Well, everything? Okay. All he wants is all we have. He wants to set us apart from this world. And I want to ask you right now, are you sanctified? Are you, are you being sanctified? Day by day, it's a process for Christians. 
But right now, look at your life, look at your, your friends and your friendships and your behavior in the world and on your teams and in your clubs and, you know, and the things that you put your time towards and your money and your effort and your energy and your language and your money. And think of all these things. Are you a sanctified person? Or do you look exactly like the world in all of its ways, all of its shapes, and all of its forms? Uh, Chris went to Polina with me two weeks ago, and uh, we went, and uh, a lot of people were gone. It was one of those really um, slim picking Sundays, you know, but it was just worth it. It was such a rich time with the small church out there. And when we were done, the, the store is open back up, and, and uh, we went to the store and, and um, uh, bought a couple of treats, you know, and we're excited the store was open back up. And then some guys that I cowboy with were in the bar next to the store. And uh, I just hear him yell for me uh, through the wall. Hey, Rory! You know, something like that. And I was like, hey, what's up? You know, and we're kind of talking through the wall. Uh, there's like a little, you know, like an old school saloon with the... Okay. They're kind of like, hey, yeah, come on over here, you know. And I was like, oh, I gotta get going, you know, whatever. And then and I just felt like the Lord, like, hey, just, man, you love these guys. You pray for these guys. You ride and rope with these guys. And I want you to go in there. I just want you to love on them for a little bit. Like, go in there. And so um, I just, like, walked around, and I walked through, and I did the classic, like, <laughs> walked into the bar. No, not really. And I just, like, went over, and I just was loving on them and talking to them. And, and it wasn't long before the obvious inebriation was... Um, obvious to where it was very carnal and sinful and worldly and it was like okay there was just this great moment of just infusing a little bit of light and now it's time to get you know and so and then we skedaddled and we got out of there but um i just sensed as i was there just the holy spirit saying like like through the power of the gospel i've pulled you out of behaving like that like it's a Rogers thing to live like that and to talk like that and to behave like that. And it's probably your thing too. But when the Holy Spirit's in you, he pulls you out of that to represent Jesus and to live like Jesus and to walk his light and to infuse light into situations. And so um, the Lord's hope for us and prayer for us, for the disciples in their immediate context and then those that would come after is that we would be sanctified. How are we sanctified by truth, okay? His word is truth. And the book of Ephesians says that that's what Jesus does is he washes us with the water of the word. Can you handle just a few more verses today, guys? All right. I didn't really hear anything, so we're just doing it anyways, I guess. Um, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. This is the missionary heart of God. God is a missionary God. He sent the son as a missionary. And now the son sends us as missionaries. All right. God is a sending God. And I was up in the middle of the night with my son. He was, uh, has a broken arm and he was um, just in a lot of pain. And so I was praying with him and then I was up. I couldn't go to sleep. And I watched a video that was on our website, um, shares my testimony and the testimony of our church being sent a missionary direction to tell Nepal about Jesus. And I just was crying by the end of that video because the Lord just used that two o'clock in the morning video to remind me his mission for our church. His mission for a local church and our church is that we would not just 
you know, hang out here and just hoard people, you know, but that we would raise up Christians and disciples and then we would send them out into the world to know Jesus. As the Father sent Jesus out, now Jesus sends us out. The Son is, the Father is a missionary Father, the Son is a missionary Son, and the Holy Spirit is a missionary Spirit. Did you know this? Let me just, little facts here. Did you know that half of the world is what is called an unreached population or is full of unreached people groups, okay? And what that means is that out in there in this population, uh, there are, uh, I think it's uh, 7 billion people who there are less than 2% Christians within their populations, okay? So that's half the world out there are unreached people groups. And then half of that half are what are called unengaged unreached peoples, which means that in 2,000 years since Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you, John chapter 21, in 2,000 years, nobody has gone to these people to tell them about Jesus. So for 2,000 years, they have died in their sins, not knowing their Savior. But there's an incredible movement that's happening within the church where the Holy Spirit is waking churches up to be sending out missionaries to these unreached tribes and these unreached lands. There's a reason they're unreached. They're in the deserts. You know, they're the Irans of the world. They're the Iraqs of the world. They're the jungles of Vietnams and the mountains of Nepal. There's demonic stuff that's happening. Like people see demons. It's common knowledge that there's demons in these places. And you're either killed if you become a Christian within a day or a couple weeks, or there's no way for you to get in there. There's no water. There's no food. There's like, there's a reason they're unreached. But the church has been rising up and has been going to these places and telling people about Jesus. And I believe the Lord's going to do a work in us of just putting some more wood on our fire as a church to be going to these places. Coronavirus has kind of shut us down. And I think that's been a, an attack of the enemy um, for the churches. It's like missions has stopped for um, two years. And I believe the Lord wants to open that up again. So um, verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so uh, the high priest sanctifies himself as he's sanctifying us. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You got to love this verse, you guys. This is one of those verses that for me took John 17 from being kind of far away and brought it near. Why? Because Jesus actually says, I'm not just praying for my 11 disciples, Peter, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, all those guys. I'm praying for the Sandy Kerbo, 2,000 years from now. I'm praying for the Jeremy McLean, 2,000 years from now. You can enter your name in there. Jesus is praying for us that we would be sanctified people, sanctified by the truth. Jesus is mindful for us and wants us to be on mission and wants us to be in unity with one another. And so maybe circle um, verse 20 because it brings it home to 2021 Primeville. And verse 21, and that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be one in us and that the world would believe that you sent me. So our unity is an expression of the mission of Jesus. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that shows the world 
the gospel when we're united. Now, there's an old saying, and I had it in my mind, then I read it somewhere else this morning, and now I'm going to try to, it's like two I-N words, but I'm going to do an E-N one. Okay, whatever, forget all that. There's an old saying, though, and it says this. In essential things, we need to have unity. Okay? All right? In essential things, we need to have unity. There are doctrines of the Christian faith that for 2,000 years, the church has stood firm on, people have been willing to die for because it's been known that it's what the Bible teaches. And then there are non-essential things. There are different things in the Bible that the church has been like, Man, you know, maybe the Baptists, you know, they're going to probably worship more this way over there concerning those things. Or maybe a, a Pentecostal church is going to be more like this. And, and you know what? Like, um, uh, that's okay, right? Um, we're going to go ahead and have just open-handedness concerning those things. But no matter what, in all of these things, we need to have charity, all right? We need to have charity and we need to have love. And that's what shows that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. There's going to be some things that we differ in that are non-essential. They're peripheral things. They're gray areas. But no matter what, we're going to love one another um, as those that name the name of Jesus. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are. And so see that unity that's important to Jesus as he prays. He desires that Christians would be one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me and that they may be perfect in one, made perfect in one. So there's unity is a very important part of Jesus's high priestly prayer and that the world may know that you've sent me. So there's also a lot of missional heart of God in this, that the whole world would know that Jesus was sent to save the world. Our unity is an expression of the missional heart of God. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. I was uh, newly married when my grandpa Con, grandpa Con, gramps we called him, took us to Nebraska to show us his home where he grew up from. Uh, you, you hear me say that I'm kind of um, proud of my Native American heritage. I'm 128th Omaha Indian, okay? My great-great-great-grandpa was the last chief of the Omaha, right? And I love that special thing about our family. And we know a lot of our history, and we've read a lot of books, and there's a lot of neat things. I actually have a blog about our family. And uh, it was so wonderful to have Gramps take us back to Nebraska and show us the old corn farm that they had, and show us the reservation, and to show us the, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the cemetery where all of my ancestors are buried over there. Uh, just such a wonderful thing. And, and maybe you feel like that too. You have an upbringing. You have a place that you're from that you just wish you could take some friends back to. I'm from South Po Valley by Bonanza in Klamath Falls, Oregon. It's where we had a large family ranch. And I would just love to like rent a bus and load everyone up on it, and we'll go to my old family farm, and I'll show you the glory of I.F. Rogers and Sons Cattle Ranch that may or may not have gone into bankruptcy and was taken from us at auction. But other than, you know, that's why I'm saying we would talk about what it was, okay? And, uh, and that's a little bit about the heart of Jesus. He's like, oh, if you guys could have just seen where, I, where I'm from, 
You know, you know what? You can, you can see where I'm from. I want to show you, you guys come, I'll show you the fellowship that I had with the father and with the spirit before the world was even existed. So get on the bus, get on the train and let's go. All right. That's Jesus's heart. He wants us to be with him where he's from. Oh, righteous father. Verse 25 worship team. Come on up. Oh, righteous father. The world has not known you, but I've known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I've declared to them your name. And I will declare it. That the love which you've loved me may be in them. And I in them. And that's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. How's everybody doing? Why don't we stand together, huh? I'm a homeschool dad. I'm a dad that homeschools my kids and then I'm also homeschooled while I'm doing it because I don't know what I'm learning. And I have to learn it and then I have to kind of... And this week in grammar, we were learning about run-on sentences. And in the Bible, and even in this prayer, sometimes you're like, this is going... I mean, there's a lot. And I and them and you and me and me and she and we and them and then one and them all together. And... Okay? And uh, it's definitely good to go and read it again, Right? And to just break it down and take it like string cheese and just, just take it apart, you guys. And just hear the Lord praying, praying for himself, praying for his boys, praying for all who would come after, praying for unity, praying for truth, praying for the word to be over his people, praying for missions to happen, and praying for that moment of glory as he's coming up to the cross by chapter 18. Um, Let's, let's spend some time this week pulling it apart and praying over it for ourselves. But let's pray now.